Hey listeners, I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I am super excited to be sharing my conversation with Douglas Lyons. Douglas is an actor, TV writer, director, composer, lyricist, and playwright. Writing credits include Polka Dots, which was the Off-Broadway Alliance winner for Best Family Show at the Atlantic Theatre Company, Bo, which was produced at the Adirondack Theatre Festival, Chicken and Biscuits, produced at the Queen's Theatre, Sunshine at the Long Wharf Theatre, among many others. Acting credits include the original Broadway cast of Beautiful the Musical and The Book of Mormon. Touring credits include Rent, Dreamgirls, and the first national tour of The Book of Mormon. Listeners, if you needed your daily dose of inspiration, but also truth and reality about this business, then you have come to the right place, or clicked the right podcast. Now, if you don't already know the name Douglas Lyons, then I promise you, you're going to start hearing it all the time. Douglas is a Broadway actor turned writer, but also still an actor. We talk about how that itch to write really took hold and how he turned it from a passion into a career. And it's so important because we all have ideas, right? But how do you act on them? How do you actually make them happen? Douglas talking about it is super helpful. We also talk about doing two things at the same time in this business and the reality of what that actually means. He says that not everyone, in fact, most people aren't accepting. Some people get jealous. And I love how he's able to put into words that some people in this business just aren't willing to root for you until you've already been successful. That's so true. Listeners, if you've ever wondered if you could manage two careers in this industry at the same time successfully, and during COVID, it's actually not a bad idea, then I cannot wait to share my conversation with the incredibly inspirational Douglas Lyons. I'm sitting here with Douglas Lyons, who I'm... <laughs> who I'm so happy to be seeing and uh, talking to for the first time in, in like a little bit, but I'm so, I mean, a lot of it, but I'm so happy to be chatting with you and so happy to be connecting on your journey. Thank you for having me. So, so happy to have you on the podcast. We met when you were doing Book of Mormon on Broadway that was like circa 2012. Well, 2011. It might have been 12 when we met, but I joined the company. Literally, my first day of rehearsal was the Tony nominations day, like announcement. That's cool. Yeah, there was no cast album, so I was rehearsing to all my voice notes. So I could, you know, <laughs> you go home and you join a show, you can like listen to the cast album. Wasn't out yet, um, but yeah, May second, 2011 was my first day of rehearsal and the tony nominations was that morning it was i yep crazy that is super crazy especially yeah. for like a mega hit like the book of mormon yeah like a broadway debut and a hit that i i had seen the show in february and i remember sitting because we won lottery actually me and my friend eric and i was sitting in the front row and i was like huh i, th- I think i <laughs> <laughs> but you know the, the whole like dreaming of broadway and the goals and you know it at that point i had done two national tours out of college one in the middle of college and like it seemed possible but broadway seemed impossible as well like my final callback it was between me and two other guys and between them they had seven broadway shows total i had zero so i just knew i wasn't getting the job but they say what is meant for you is yours and you know about two weeks later got the call and and it's all she wrote. So, I mean, let I'm just like skipping ahead a little bit right now, but like what was that what was that like? Like did you have an agent at the time? Like and was it just like an appointment that just like kept like happening or did you know someone or what was how did it happen? I was very I've been very blessed in my career that like so, I went to the Hart School, BFA Musical Theater, toot toot. Mm-hmm. And um between my sophomore and junior year i went on tour i took a year off to go on tour with rent at 19 years old um and i was the swing for benny collins so learned so many lessons on that tour went back finished my degree graduated in 2009 and before i graduated i had actually booked the dream girls national tour that started at the apollo theater and toured um and at the end of my first semester senior year gotten with um independent artists 
which is now, well, Sid Levin, who was at Independent Artist, I now um, work with at CLA Partners. But that was my first agent <clears throat> I got at the end of my first semester of senior year. And they were putting my name out. And like I had been called backs for like the In the Heights tour and some other things and Ragtime, the revival, I think at one point. And so they were like, oh yeah, we're going to work with you. And then Dreamgirls happened. So when I got back from Dreamgirls, that was 2011, uh, like January, I was really back in the city. And um, I was doing a little show at a story performing arts center called The Human Comedy and got the appointment for Mormon. You know, had an initial audition, got a callback. I was like, oh, I got a callback. But mind you, I was in rehearsal for this other show. And then I got another callback. And I was like, oh, I got another callback. And like, I didn't tell the show at the time because I was like, it's not going to happen. Like, bleh, like, that's not happening. And then there was a third callback. And I was like, okay, I might need to tell these people that maybe I, I might get this thing. So <laughs> it was a, oh, let me see if I remember. It was like a Thursday. It was a Thursday. It was my last callback. And that Monday, my agent then called and said, you know, especially when you're waiting for Broadway, you're looking at your phone, you're sweating, you're not showering, all the things. And so I, my agent called, I was like, I got it, I got it. He's like, so they want you to come back in one more time. I was like, oh my good God in heaven. And that was a Monday. So that Tuesday, I was back in the room. Um, it was me and Stephen Aremis. And funny story, I got out of that room and my music director from... The Dream Girls tour, I had a voicemail from him. He said that Stephen had called him as a reference to check, you know, my kindness and how I was, as, you know, as an artist to work with. People don't realize it's very important, like how you treat people along the way. It can keep you from getting a job. OK, that's huge. Everyone hear that. So that Tuesday happened. That Wednesday was silent. And we were starting tech for the show I was doing at APAC. And that Thursday morning at like 11, we got the call and I, I was in disbelief. Um, I was in disbelief. I went and worked out. I called all my teachers. I was just like, this is not happening. I ended up doing one performance of that other show. Um, and I started rehearsal like that next week for Mormon. So it was, it was crazy. It's crazy times. Wow. Yeah. I guess I didn't even realize that was your Broadway debut, but that was like so amazing. And what like a show to make it to do and also the timing of that show because like that's when that was like totally taking off yeah i was in people magazine between matt and trey if you go and look at people magazine i'm like in the back like hey didn't have <laughs> costumes yet they had just like thrown some costumes on me i was still learning it was, it was insane it was insane but again you know what is meant for you is is yours it just is it will be yours if you work for it you know totally totally yeah. From Book of Mormon, you, I mean, norm, uh, normally everyone kind of knows on the podcast that I like to jump to like what what's happening right now for you. But like, let's go a little bit like linearly, like right now, like let's talk about like what happens next. So you're in the show for how long? How long did you do the show? I was in the Broadway company from May of 2011 until July of 2012. This is sort of skipping over how music came about for me and writing, but I went through a really bad breakup at the top of 2012 and I needed to escape the city. And I knew they were casting the first national tour. And so I told the dance captain at the time, I was like, you know, if they need somebody, let me know, let me know. Cause I was a swing on the Broadway company and I wanted to be on stage and I'll never forget it. I was getting my headshots done and I had this call from Jersey and I was like, hello, he hello. And it was Casey Nicolau. He was like, hey, Douglas, how are you? It's Casey Nicolau. I was like, oh, hey, Casey, how are you doing? What's going on? He's like, so we're casting the first national tour. And I've heard that you might be interested, are you? And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, 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 maybe. Yeah, yeah. Right. And um, thank God I said yes, because I met my writing partner on that tour. And so Casey Nicolau, what a shame he's not successful at all. Just no credits, like no show, <laughs> like a waste of everything. But yeah, so I left the Broadway company in June, no, in July, but I did three weeks of overlap. So I was at rehearsal for the first national tour and then going to the Broadway company at night. And I left, yeah, I left New York from July of 2012 until June of 2013. And I met Ethan Pactar on that tour and then my life has changed. So, yeah. 
So let's talk about that. Ethan Pakchar, for um, those of you who don't know, is Douglas's writing partner. But when and and I want to talk about that. Like when when did writing become a thing for you? Like how how did that happen? I feel like so many of us think about it or think, oh, I should do that or I want to do that. But maybe how did that happen for you? And then like what really pulled that from you? Like what really started to make you need to do that? Well, it started with heartbreak, that that breakup in 2012. And mm-hmm. my parents like coincidentally got me a guitar on my 25th birthday and I still can't play it, but I started writing songs on it. And I there's like a video on Facebook, like way back when, when I wrote that first song. And um, it was therapeutic for me. Music became therapeutic for me. And then when I met Ethan, he was supposed to give me guitar lessons, but then I was lazy and he just ended up playing and I would sing over it and we would vibe and like hang out and chill. So there were five musicians on the tour um, with all the actors and he was the guitarist. And he had just graduated oh, NYU, cool. like a prodigy in his own right, like straight out of college. He was already playing Broadway shows while he was still in college, like crazy. So we just, we like found a little vibe and we would play between shows, you know, in hotel rooms, just hang out and write songs, or whatever. Then when I was leaving the tour, I was like, hey, man, we've written so many songs. We should maybe do an album. Like, what do you think about that? And so we did a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo. Our goal was 4000 and we raised 6500 And so Unreal. for one night only, Dina Jones, um, we <laughs> recorded in New York City on August 12th. 2013, we recorded a live album, which is hashtag love live. Look it up on iTunes and Spotify. Listen to it now. Um, It'll be in the show notes. Bam. So we we recorded with all these Broadway friends. We recorded the music we had written on tour. And I invited so, like I spent all that summer inviting CAA, ICM, William Morris, Paradigm, all these agents. I looked up every Broadway composer that I can find and their representation. And I like mm-hmm. blindly reached out and was like, y'all need to come. I didn't know if it was going to be good or not. I was like, y'all need to show up. Um, and like three or four of them did actually. Um, and we had some meetings afterwards and they were like, you need to write a musical. That was like the first thing. Yeah. And so that launched it. We had another concert in April of 2014. And we had just started writing a couple of songs for our musical, which is now Five Points. I'll never forget our now agent, Michael Finkel at William Morris was like sitting towards the back of 54 Below and I was near sort of the sound booth and I could see his neck waving and he was singing the song. Like he was mouthing the songs and I was like, that <laughs> is the agent you want. That is who we want to work with. And we You want him. a neck wave. Yeah, you want a neck wave <laughs> and someone who knows your music. And I was like, yep, I want, I want to work with him. So that started that relationship. That's how we got an agent. Totally. I just feel like that goes for whether you're a writer or a composer or an actor, like you want to be with representation. And we've talked about that a little bit on the podcast, like who love you and who so believe in you, because those are the people that are going to be getting on that phone every day and calling and like making the things happen. So that's, that's incredible. So in the midst of this, I know that you're also fostering this acting career, which is also like very much blossoming and blooming as well. And when in this time do you head to, is it, was it San Francisco? For Beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. So I fit, this is another crazy story. Again, my career, my life has been blessed. Okay. There's holy oil all over. Okay. It's not me putting <laughs> the work, but things happen. It's not all because of me. I'll tell you that. It um, is. It is. Six days after I got back from Mormon, I left Mormon actually early. My grandmother had passed. We were in Canada and I was leaving that Sunday was my last show. Oh. She passed on. I was in callbacks for Motown Broadway and beautiful at the same time. But the but Mormon was in Toronto. And so I was like flying back and forth. And I had like a another call back for Motown or Beautiful on a Tuesday. I was flying back into a two-show day in Toronto for Mormon. And while I was in the air, my grandmother passed. And so they were having her. It it was, I mean, it was, it was fine. It was unexpected, but it was fine. And and I think she was my angel during all of this, honestly. So that that Friday, I left Mormon early. I took three flights from Toronto to get to Oriental, North Carolina. And 
there was a weird callback for Beautiful on that Sunday, but we told casting that like his grandmother passed, he's not gonna be able to make it. And so I'm in North Carolina all that weekend. We bury my grandmother that Sunday. I have to leave. Um, I have to leave North Carolina Monday because we had a final dance audition for Beautiful on Tuesday. So I come back on Tuesday. And the final final for Beautiful was Wednesday. I got the call. I booked it on Friday. So I had been unemployed for five days. And I almost, and this is the really important part, I almost did not leave Mormon because of fear. Tyson Jeanette, who was the swing, you know Tyson, uh, who's the swing with me on Mormon. I don't think I You don't know? Okay. Well, Tyson's amazing. And we did Mormon together on Broadway. But I remember calling him when I was about to leave the tour. And I was like, hey, man, I'm really scared. And he was like, Doug. You have to believe that you are powerful. You have to believe that you are capable. You have to believe that there are other things for you. If you are not happy, it's time to move on. And if you don't step out on faith, you don't know what could happen. I remember him saying that. And if I had not left the Mormon tour, I wouldn't have been open to receive the gift that has been beautiful for like, that would be beautiful for six years of my life. So yeah, that Friday I got that call and that entire summer I knew I had beautiful. So we negotiated to have that Monday night off because we actually started rehearsal. I'm mixing Monday. It's August 12th was the first beautiful rehearsal. We recorded the album on August 19th. So I had beautiful that like day for four hours and then I ran to um, the cutting room and we recorded the album that night. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. No, you're so good at dates. Like I literally can't remember what I did two weeks ago. And I'm so happy <laughs> that you remember because these are incredible milestones. Yeah. And beautiful was amazing. So talk about how you this amazing thing happens in one side of your career that ended up being a huge Broadway hit. But how do you what was the struggle to keep that other side of the writing alive for you? You know, how does that, how do you do that? You know, did it, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not easy. You know, there's an interesting, there's an interesting dynamic. I think when people start stepping outside of the box, when people start trying to do something that their peers are maybe not doing, that can be perceived as like, I don't know. It's a, it was a weird thing when we started, for sure, because people don't take you seriously. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh, you're oh, you're a writer now. Oh, you write. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, okay. You know the the theater attitude, which sort of pisses me off, is like, yeah, hit me up when you have a script. Like, let me let me see when you have a script. Right? It's like, yeah, yeah you know, like sort of prove yourself. And I didn't I didn't write book like script until 2017. I just wrote music for the first three or four years. So mm-hmm. Polka Dots, Five Points, Peter Pan, they all had book writers. I didn't tap into that space until I realized, like, I don't feel like waiting for people in schedule, so I'm going to try it myself. It just felt like writing music was pouring something into the world in a way that I wasn't as an actor. And the response. I loved that. Yeah, it was, it was a different... This is, the, this is my epiphany I've now had, you know, years later, is I fell in love with theater... And I fell in love with acting because I thought it was the only way to tell a story. And then I realized that writing is also telling stories and you don't have to be in the building every day and do eight shows a week every day. So like- And you have control over the story. Yeah. And how it's told and who tells it. And well, like to some extent, but like you have so much more control than you do as an actor. Yeah, yeah. So that was a turning point for me. Also seeing people respond to our music was like, oh, there's a- you know, being a Black writer, there were Black theater people that had never heard music this way. You know, music that you grow up with in the church, in the Black church, sprinkled on top of a musical theater narrative is not necessarily the norm. It's not in. So that became very encouraging, writing a platform for other people of color to take the mic Mm -hmm. in a way that they're maybe not allowed, you know, um, and we got a lot of comments very early on that like, this is not exactly theater music. It doesn't feel like a story. Where's the, like the structural, like BMI thing. It's like, okay, I hear you. I got you. Cool, cool, cool. And I learned to take notes on that and like perfect rhyme and stuff. I had to learn my way. I did not know it all. I still don't, but I figured it out and I watched everything. I went and saw new musicals. I went and saw how people reacted. You know, it's commercialism. You have to, it's not just about what you want to say. 
you can, that's great. That's a great Facebook post. But if you're trying to sell a product, you really have to tap into what the audience is going to love about it. Because if they're not going to come back, it's not going to last. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah. How do you feel like, if at all, like things, the landscape has changed since, you know, that summer when you recorded the album to now? Do you feel like in your time as a writer, the business or, you know, has changed or how people view people doing other things has changed? I have a weird theory about success. I think people are down to root for you once they've seen you be successful. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a downfall in our business where it's like, I'm an actor, mom, or, you know, I'm a writer or, you know, I'm a producer. It's like, oh, okay, okay hit me up when you do something, you know? Mm -hmm. And then people are like, oh my God, like, oh, I've known them all the time and I believe in them. And they're the, they were amazing from the start. And I'm like, get, take that back. Like go somewhere with that. Because I, I, I don't buy into this mentality that you can only believe in yourself. You can only be vocal once you've arrived, you know, where the elites have given you, you know, their approval, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's gotten any easier. I think social media plays a huge part in the arts in a way that it didn't when maybe I started. Um, it's really a tool. I used it as a tool for myself to build a career. Um, because if you're not going to read my scripts or I cannot get to that lead Broadway producer, but his associate is somehow my Facebook friend, I'm going to post about my projects because maybe whispers happen. And it worked. You know? Absolutely. Um Broadway producers, one during quarantine has joined my camp because of sort of my social media presence and him feeling like, wait, I really need to talk to this guy and see what's going on. And then he read the scripts and then the rest is history. And now we have, you know, a a budding relationship. So I don't know that the tides have changed completely, but I will say, I will say that maybe people are a lot more aware, even if they're not necessarily embracing. Mm -hmm. They're far more educated. But it doesn't mean they're, they've changed yet. Yeah. Let me ask about social media for a second. Like, what? It, it, it's such a tool. And to say that it's something that you shouldn't engage in, it would be a little bit to me sticking your head under a rock, you know. But But what has your relationship been like with that? You know, like I've talked to some people about networking and you know, that can seem like just such an icky word, but at the end of the day, it's actually not. It's just like keeping in touch with people and um, forming relationships, but then also following up on those relationships. I guess, what is your, how has your relationship to social media changed? Like, do you feel like it's important? Obviously, you already talked about that it helped you. Um, yeah. yeah, I just want to know about that, especially in COVID. We can only like actors are like spilling out into social media because it's the only way we can be seen right now. And, and writers and everyone else. Yeah, I think so. I have a really good story about this in two parts. Um, the latter part is I'm currently working on my first television show and I congratulations. Only got it. Thank you. Thank I want to hear all about it. I know I can't what we can it. know. Legally, I can't talk about it. Yeah, they won't let us say what it is. <laughs> oh, I tell we'll, you do, we'll do a follow-up when it's allowed. We'll do a follow-up. But I, so four or five years ago when Polka Dots at first began, I'd emailed a director who I was interested in working with on it. It didn't pan out at the time. But during COVID, it had this idea of like, maybe there's a way to do a, a different spin on it. And so I reached out to that uh, director and was like, hey, let's just catch up. And we caught up. And at the end of it, he was like, do you have a pilot or anything? Now, mind you, I just, I have a pilot I've been working on that's being shopped around a little bit. And I was like, coincidentally, I do. And so I sent it to him. And then he passed my name along. I get an email like a couple days later about a a meeting for this show. Um, I meet with him and uh, the showrunners of the show. And we have, you know, a meeting. They hadn't read my pilot yet. But then I sent them my scripts. That was on a Friday. That Monday in the afternoon, I got a random email being like, hey, can you, you know, be on call with the president of 
the company and the showrunner. And I was like, oh, y'all just, that's how y'all gonna do me? Like, y'all not gonna, you not, no warning, no lube, no nothing? Okay, cool. So we have the meeting and then like two weeks later I get the job, but they actually read my stage scripts. And they were very, like one of them read Bo and was like, hey man, I don't read 90 page scripts. We usually read, you know, a 25 page pilot, but it really hit me, it got me. And that story only to say, if I had not reached out to that director in COVID to check in, I would not have this television job right now because I followed up. And and people don't, and that circles back to, to show business. Actors can be consumed with the show part of show business and they forget that it's called business for a reason because usually we are more concerned with the show, but we are actually our own business. It is our job to keep our relationships right, to check in with people, to follow up, to be punctual, to be professional because we are, at the end of the day, if you really blow up, you are a business. People are paying you for your business, which is your temple, you know? So social media for me is a way to spread the business, spread the news. You know, there are multiple directors and producers and folks watching. You know, now COVID has taught me also I have to be careful because everybody's not rooting for you. Everybody's not happy for you. People are jealous. It's hard, you know, and sometimes you got to protect yourself. But it's a great tool to reach 5,000 people in one statement. Mm -hmm. And there's just no reason if you're working really hard and great things are happening, why you would not. It's the same thing as an e-blast, you know, if you want it to be. So I say use social media however you want to, but I know people have booked jobs from it, audition tapes. I've found artists from Instagram. I follow people, you know, like it's, it's a, it's another tool for the toolkit if you use it to your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's it, it's such a great resource and it's one of those things that you don't have to use, but it's one of those things that if you use it right, it definitely can be helpful. The thing about COVID that's interesting, and I think like you talked about it, is that more people are listening right now. Like more people are not white, you know, our business can be so like white knuckled and and I think people are sitting back a little bit more. It's easier to have conversations. It's easier to approach people. It's just, it's enabling people to have a dialogue more than they probably would have before, um, which I think is an exciting time for new work to be happening and for new projects to be incubating and and all that stuff. It's just, it's, I hope that we are, the next musical and television show obsessions we have are things that are happening and being developed right now, because I think it's a good time for it. Yeah. We also have time. We have more time to read, to absorb. And that is what's happening right now. Like folks have time to read a script. A producer has time if they choose to, you know, um, and we're listening because we're not so frantic, you know? Mm-hmm. So. For me, it's, I've been able to catch up with, I didn't know Zoom existed. I actually got Zoom stock at the top of this because I was like, I see what's about to happen here. That's very smart. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, the world is changing. I, I think in some ways for the better, it, we don't have an excuse not to connect. You can take 15 minutes and I don't have to come to your studio to do a podcast. We can do it this way. You know? mm-hmm. So that's, I think it's helpful for every aspect of business, not just in the arts, but yeah. Totally. So you're doing beautiful, beautiful comes to Broadway. You are still writing. I know this cause I am a fan and following you and you're still doing, you're writing with Ethan and you're developing things. How do you negotiate that relationship between I'm a writer, but I'm also a professional actor who's coming in to audition for you? You know, does your theatrical representation, you know, your performing representation, do they know that? Are they supportive? Do you feel like you have to balance that? Was it easy? Was it not? And and how did you move forward? And and I actually don't know, like, how are you continuing to move forward with that? Well, funny story. So I was at Beautiful. We opened January 12th, 20. 
14. Which, beautiful. So sad that show didn't run very long because, it, I mean, yeah, excuse me, that was like <laughs> the biggest, biggest show. And you must know Joyce Chittick. Yeah. She's she's a friend and has worked at the Playhouse a couple times and we love her so much. So Yeah, we I... So when Beautiful, like, really sort of arrived and landed, I figured out a really cool thing. I had a 45-minute break in the show. We had what we call the 12 Minutes of Slave, which was from up on the roof, straight into on Broadway, straight into locomotion, into the backup vocals for Love and Feeling Offstage. And so the show would start at 8.07. I would do 16.50 at, like, 8.00. 12, 8, 14, I would be downstairs for like 20 minutes. We would go and um, do some kind of wonderful. I would then have 20 minutes. We would then do the 12 minutes of slave, you know, so I would do that through like 9.07. And then I would not be back on stage until like 9.50 something. So I had 10 minutes before intermission and like 10 minutes after intermission And anybody that was that beautiful would see me in the hallway writing or in the band room writing. Like I would, I, I had responsibility. I would have business calls upstairs in my wig (laughs) at intermission, you know, Mm -hmm. like it, I, I found the balance. I created the balance. I had conversations with my reps and I was like, you know, it's a really sweet thing we got going here. Let me see. And then beautiful became very um, cooperative and supportive of the writing. I was the first actor to get a leave of absence. For residency at Goodspeed, it became like, oh, he's a writer, and, and the show's about you know a writer. So they became very, very supportive. They all came to see the first reading of Polka Dots. Like the oh. lead producers were in the audience, right? So, um, but a, a really interesting story is when Hamilton was auditioning. I, I've been in for Hamilton now like seven, eight times. But in the very beginning, I had a callback, and they called for me to come in for the Off Broadway swing. And I said, no, because I was like, what? Now, my, looking back at it, I'm like, did we make the right decision? But we <laughs> did. We did, because if I had gone back in and maybe booked Hamilton, I would not have written Polka Dots, Chicken and Biscuits and Bo backstage at Beautiful. And wow. so, yeah, it's like that that trade off was worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so right now I'm really focused on the writing. There's just so much going on. Um, Ethan and I have two new musicals that were sort of written in COVID that are actually getting productions and then the TV show. And then, um, a play of mine has been picked up for a film deal. So they're working on that. Um, you know, there's, I'm busy. And as an actor, I've learned, I can only do two things at a time. So I'm concentrating on the writing for now. And then once the writing room is over, like late November, I'll try to do some acting stuff, maybe go to LA for a couple of months and try to get my feet wet in TV film, because I have not done that yet. And I really want to do that. And the acting thing for everyone is just not really happening right now. (laughs) Unless you're the five regulars on a television show, because then like, then it's happening. But um, the writing seems like a really great strategy right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So cool. So cool. And just exciting and empowering to be like, I'm doing these things and to also be writing at your theater and to be writing at your show to not like be scared or worried about like how people are going to perceive, perceive what you're doing because, um, and then being a champion of it. I, I just think that that's like super liberating and, and exciting. Uh, so I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about, the audition room being on the other side of things. Uh-huh. Um, I just think that, you know, as an actor, I'm sure you under, you know, you get it like being getting out of heart and auditioning, you know, you see things like one way. And then I've also switched to doing like a lot of directing things and just watching it on the other side has just been a completely different experience. And you know, I think a lot of new projects are going to be happening during this time. And I think that once we get out of this or people listening are going to be getting a lot of appointments to do self tapes for a lot of new musicals, whether it's in person for, you know, new shows or, you know, making tapes for a lot of new things that have been happening during this time. What 
are some of the things as a writer that when someone comes in for you, or I guess you're getting a self-tape these days, that you are, you know, this is such a blanket, awful question, but like, what are you looking for? What makes someone pop? Like what, what gets you excited or, you know, about the, about someone's audition when you're watching, you know, 50 to a hundred people in one day, uh, interpreting writing that maybe has not been interpreted yet, or, or maybe once by a reading or something. It, I, I'm a writer for the underdog. I, I'm not interested in the pretty people necessarily coming in and being fine. I'm, I'm interested in that person that's quirky, awkward, and brilliant. And so personality, as I, when I teach masterclasses, it's the personality that I remember. Because mm-hmm. at a certain level, everybody's going to come in and hit the high note. Everyone's going to slay that monologue. But what's that quirky thing that you do? Or, you know, you drop, you, you lose your pages and how do you recover? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Right. You go up, but how do you keep us, you know, going, engaged? So personality for me, quirkiness, funny. We're not just casting the show. We are casting personalities that we have to be in a room with for a certain amount of time. And so I know for a fact there are brilliant people who have not been cast because their attitudes, they don't, you know, they're not a great company member and that they don't get along with people. And so it is as important to be talented and prepared as it is to be kind. And and that's just something I look for now. Like in my camp of people, in my friendships, it's like, if you're not a kind person or I can't trust you, I'm good. Like, I wish you all the best, but I'm actually good on it because that's the thing I'm looking for. Like Chicken and Biscuits is a family play about two sisters who don't get along, who have to bury their father. And then the third sister that one of them knew about shows up to the funeral. Everything mm-hmm. explodes. Um, that casting that play was based on the personalities of these actors because we were literally building a family that you had to believe was real. Mm-hmm. And so it's a chemistry test, you know, and, and we have to trust these characters. Um, Ebony Marshall Oliver, I'll never forget her audition. She came in and hadn't never, didn't know her. Now some people that came in, I knew, but she sat down, she said, can I use a chair? So yes, yeah, she sat in the chair and she did her first line. And I said, uh-huh. She got it because she, she knew she just, I could hear it. And the way that she said the line, I knew that she understood my writing mm-hmm. and I could trust her to do whatever, you know? So yes, it's, it's dating, it's personality, it's being in sync, it's being kind, you know? And like one of the guys in Bo, Max Sangerman, um, his first audition, he came and he played and on his way out, he turned back. He's like, Hey man, I just want to say, like, I really, I really love this material and I'm not just yanking your chain here, but like, it's really special. Okay. Thank y'all. Y'all have a nice day. And he booked the job. I mean, he didn't book it because of that, but like, I remembered that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was just sucking up. I think he organically really felt that way. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, I look for people before I look for actors and types and all that stuff, because I, three, four years from now, 10 years from now, I want to be able to look back at that cast and be like, let's go get a drink. You know, like, let's be a family. If not, I don't want it just to be business. I think theater, I think arts in general can be more than that. Yeah, it it just is striking me in this moment that also, because, you know, you're not just like, specifically for Chicken and Biscuits, like you weren't just casting a licensed production of the show that had been happening for 15 years. Like you were doing the original production of the show, which ostensibly you're going to be rewriting and you're going to be changing and you're going to be writing probably depending on the people that are playing these parts. So you also want people that are inspiring you are like making interesting choices that are, you know, people that are also like game to be kind of Guinea pigs in a sense and and like, okay with, with the nature of what it means to be creating something new, which is a very sometimes different actor than it is doing something that's been, you know, than someone who's just interpreting material that has already been, that has already been written. Yeah. You want to cast people that inspire Ebony. Again, we were in rehearsal and there's a moment where the sister shows up in the play and Beverly, who's the like fun, crazy, wild sort of profane aunt curses and um <laughs> she stands up and she made in rehearsal she made this face that was like huh and i and i wrote down 
I said, oh, okay. And the, the, the other actress, the third sister says, I deserve answers. And Ebony's face had a subtext to it that inspired the line. Oh, you do, huh? And so I wrote that down. I said, Ebony, when we do that again, can you say that? And she did. It was in the play. And it got a reaction. But that was based off of her face. Like, I didn't write that. She inspired that in the writing. So that's the type of collaboration I'm looking for when I'm casting something because it's it's spirits, it's energy. The, you know, the playwright leaves the room or the set, you know, as a writer, sometimes it's not even there. And so you have to be able to really trust with an audience that this person is going to land it and have fun and inspire them the way they inspired you. Totally. I, I have this question that I've been asking people on the podcast that I've you know, if anything, like I've been maybe getting so much out of it and I think other people will too, but, but what is something that you Douglas wish you knew when you were getting out of heart about the business? Like what is something maybe specifically, you know, not about the craft or anything, but what is something like about the business that you've learned that, you know, now that, that you kind of wish, man, I wish I, I wish I had known that when I was 22 or when I was 23. And sometimes it's, you know, sometimes that, that question brings up in me, like, you know, I, I had to learn it. I had to learn that lesson when I needed to learn it. Um, you know, but what's, what's maybe something that you wish you, you knew about the way like logistically things work that sometimes as bright eyed and bushy tailed actors out of our BFA programs, we really don't get. I and people maybe hate me for saying this. I think no, say it. I already love what you're gonna say. Say (laughs) (laughs) I think in theater, at the end of the day, it's called show business. Producers are more concerned about their product many times than they are their people. And and that you assume when you're green and you're like, oh. I want to be on that stage. I remember seeing the Cats National Tour came through New Haven. The Rent National Tour came through New Haven, the one I would join three years later, which is crazy. And just being like, you know, bushy-tailed, bright-eyed. Oh, my goodness, right? And it's it's hard. Eight shows a week is hard. 52 weeks a year. You are The thing that I really wish I had known is how much you will sacrifice of yourself for this thing that you love. And in this moment, we're realizing the same is not reciprocated to the actors. Actors' equity, I think, is failing a lot right now. Yes, yes, yes. And people need to hear that. Yeah. So I'm very frustrated because I have a play that had a virtual production and the theater has not gotten permission for us to take that video and to, to have it for an archival, because what I'm trying to do is create a co-production between a, a theater in Savannah and a theater in Queens to hire more equity actors. And Actors' Equity is putting a ban on the video. So how are we going to employ equity actors? So the, the thing I've learned is like, you have the thing I'm learning in COVID too is you have to put yourself first, not this business first. Because this business doesn't necessarily care for that friend's wedding. Like I, mm-hmm. I initially had RSVP'd for a friend's wedding and then realized it was a five show weekend. You know, it's like there is a sacrifice, especially on stage, specifically on stage. In Hollywood, everybody gets a weekend. They actually respect, you know, humans. In, in theater, it, it is a sacrifice. Your love will require a sacrifice of self. And you should be prepared for that. Um, you will get a lot of no's. You will get some yeses. Casting really has nothing to do with you. When we were casting Polka Dots at Atlantic Theater Company, brilliant, talented folks came through the door, but it's a picture. Again, you're casting a family. So sometimes you may not get, you know, a uh, role because your personality, though you're good for that part, is too similar to someone else on stage. Mm -hmm. And they want opposition. There's little things that you will just never know and you just should not take them personally because you can be phenomenal and things just not work out. There are directors who have worked with actors before. Before you even walked in the room, they filled the list for the day, but that director already knows he sort of wants to work with that actor and you don't have a shot and you learn those 30 pages of sides and you don't even know. It. You know, like there's, there's, yep. <laughs> there's so many lessons. And uh, yeah, and for me too, it's like, Transition is okay. You know, being becoming a writer is okay. Wanting to do other things with your life 
having a backup plan or, you know, a support system with other things you can accomplish that are going to feed, you know, you and, and your life and your soul is not a bad thing. Don't pour all of yourself into this profession because I'm telling you, it will probably not give that back to you. No, it's not kind of like love you or cuddle with you. Do you know, like, it's just, it's soul sucking, but it's an addiction and it's, you know, man, it's rough. I mean, I was like lucky enough to be in a show in December, January, and February that closed March 1st. And I, um, like sucked in all of that, you know, that you like take in to like fill your soul until you get the next job. And then, you know, a week after we closed, Broadway closed. And I was, I just realized like, uh, I, that's probably not going to happen for a while. And it's like, now I'm learning and I imagine other people are too, like what that's like to, to be absent, to like, you know, what, to feel, to not get that high, to not get that, you know, that even when you're auditioning for things, like when, even when you don't get things, when you're at a callback or you have a great audition, it still gives you like that little, like high feeling that you have of, you know, so it's like, how do you create that for yourself? How do you stay happy, productive, you know, not focus your whole life on your, on your career? It's, um, or, or how do you, you know, how do you turn things into, how do you make other choices? You know, how do you do, how do you, um, you know, do other things that are going to make you happy in the time that you are unable to be doing the auditions or be getting on stage? So, yeah. And the, and the thing I've been working on too, is like balance. What is that balance? Balance, you know, balance. what is that balance? Like how, what do you want in life? What are you willing to sacrifice to get it? Like for me, I want a relationship. Like I, I want, I don't want a successful career if it means I'm alone for the rest of my life, you know? Um, and that's been difficult. You know, I'm a, I'm a very driven person and I only have so many hours in the day. And if you really want to share a life with somebody, you got to figure that balance out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky business. It's a beautiful business. I don't want to come off that like I'm discouraging people to follow their dreams, but one thing I learned about theater specifically is there are a lot of people who want it and there's not a lot of jobs for them. It's competitive, you know, yeah. and, and having been on Broadway, the blessing of that twice, you realize a stage is a stage. So after I left Beautiful the first time, I left twice, I did Ragtime at uh, the Fifth Avenue. I played Cole House, dream role, ridiculous. But I walked on that stage and I was like, well, this is Broadway. <laughs> this is the same thing. You know what I mean? Like Broadway is wherever you bring it. Um, I love that. I love that you just said that. That's, it's so true. It's like, why is Broadway one thing when sometimes you can be performing with even a higher production values in a more beautiful theater? And that's not Broadway. It's like, yeah, Broadway is, yeah, it's, that's totally true. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's the experience, you know, like it's, it's, it's commercialism. It's the highest paycheck you'll get most likely in the theater. Yeah, that's great. But it doesn't mean the show's not of quality if it's in, you know, South Dakota or Maine. Like some of my best theater experiences, Ragtime being one of them, the waves that I did at New York Stage and Film in 2018, you know, the Muni, uh, great experiences, you know, tangible, healthy, wholesome people and work. And, and this is the real, this is the real kicker. I want people to ask themselves, are you pursuing a theater career? Are you pursuing a Broadway career? Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Are you in this to get to Broadway for like, whatever that means, you know, like the cachet of Broadway? Are you in it because you really love theater? Mm -hmm. You know, and you want to do that for the rest of your life. Those are two different dreams and they require two different sacrifices. So, cause I, I, uh, theater latte da did five points in 2018 and the incredible actors that were on that stage who live in Minneapolis, some of which who had been on Broadway or national tours and had backyards and families. And they would come to the show, do the show rehearse and then go back to their family. And it was quality work. Mm -hmm. It was quality work. So yeah, totally. Douglas, I could literally talk to you forever. You're so inspiring and I'm so happy that 
like chatting with you tonight has like let me see you and catch up with you for the sake of the podcast like i uh will say thank you but i like so hope to catch up again and i think you're like on i mean i know that you are on the brink of so many other successful journeys and and i can't wait to catch up and hear about the television film and and all of that 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 you are moving into and um and I'm so excited to see where you're going because it's been really inspiring and beautiful to see what you've been doing and like holding what you want to do close to your heart and never like straying from that. And that's something that is rare in this business. So I so appreciate you being on this podcast and for sharing your passion because it's it's like so contagious. It's like 940 at night, but I'm ready to like go like follow my dream right now. <laughs> Listen, man, I feel like we got to what? I, something I realize is like, I'd rather inspire than be famous. I'd rather like kids, you know, listen to songs and feel, you know, we, I got, Ethan and I got a message from like a, a 60 year old man and who I am, which is on our first album, hashtag love live that all of you are going to listen to. Um, he was like, this song allowed me to have a very difficult conversation with my mother. Thank you. That is what the work is about. Yes. That is what the work is about. Like, the applause is great. Like the paycheck is necessary, but the work is the legacy. That yeah. is, that's, yeah. So. For sure. For sure. And yeah. I think that rings true and will always be the case. I think that's huge. Like the importance and the legacy is like, so what we're doing, the paycheck is necessary for us to keep doing it, but it is not why we do it. Yeah. So yep. I totally get that. Douglas, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. And uh, we will hopefully get like a big, fabulous update from you on the podcast. What's we can do? <laughs> thank you, Douglas. Absolutely. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Ah!